welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Oil & Gas Onshore, where I am on a relentless pursuit to bring value, unity, and information to the energy industry one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and remember that even this very device you're listening on requires some form of hydrocarbon. This episode is brought to you by our new sponsor for the Oil & Gas Onshore podcast. A big shout out to Technip FMC, a company who truly represents the future of the oil and gas industry. Hey everyone, look, not only do you get awesome weekly content by listening, now you've got a chance to win some serious swag brought to you by Technip FMC. Each week, one lucky listener will win a bundle of gear, which includes everything I'm about to list. Seriously, everything. An audio duffel bag, a Yeti tumbler, an executive power bank power charger, a Columbia neck gator, and a set of Ace Pods 2.0, which are the true wireless Bluetooth earbuds. All you got to do is click the link in the show notes and enter your information to win. Simple. Now go get your swag on. All right. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm here at the Canon with Travis Power and Dane Elliott from NextGen Oil Tools. Gents, how's the new year treating you? I mean, we're pretty early into it, but hopefully better than 2020. So far, so good. Looking forward to getting to work. Yeah. No kidding. Travis, what about you, buddy? Yeah, getting back into the swing of things. Yeah. I think it was a good break and time to get back to work. Yeah. No, actually, I've been talking to a lot of people and just, you know, typical, hey, how's it going? How's it holidays? And it's surprising because a lot of people I've talked to this year have said this Christmas and the holidays was probably one of like the most enjoyable, relaxing holidays. And I don't know if that's a function because everything was shut down. So you're forced just to chill. <laughs> but Myself included, I just I had a good holiday. My you know my kids are at an age where they can have fun together instead of you know having to hold a baby the entire time. And my mom was here, which was nice. I haven't had Christmas with her in probably six years. So again, yeah, hopefully everyone out there had a good holidays. And, and this will be released quite a you know while after the holidays, but nonetheless, it's important to at least you know talk about it. So you know, oil hits fifty dollars yesterday. Bitcoin's on a tear. I don't know if you guys are Bitcoiners or not. The new administration is about to take place. Pretty fascinating stuff. So, I mean, well, I guess first thing, oil hit 50. That's good. Inventory draws about 8 million barrels a day. For the listeners out there, hopefully puts upward pressure on oil prices. I don't know. Do you guys have any projection on oil prices for t- towards the end of the year or what? Let's hear it. Even if you have no idea. I would guess in the high 50s by the end of the year, just because I think with the vaccines and, and all of that, the demand will come back yeah. somewhat. Or people are just going to get as much cabin fevers or they've had so far and just run away yeah well i want to go somewhere yeah and i think that just the way humans operate i would expect that you kind of lock people up in cages for long enough and you let them out it's just gonna like you won't be able to put the toothpaste back in the in the tube it's just people are gonna go out they're gonna spend they're gonna travel i don't know I, i feel like it's I feel like oil demand's gonna come back a lot harder than what most people think which obviously for us is a good thing so i don't know i would be willing to bet I'm going to go 62. We'll see if my projection's right. Hopefully it's higher. You never know. But the good thing is OPEC Plus is, or OPEC Plus seems to be relatively disciplined with their production, which is somewhat nice. OPEC, mm, maybe, maybe not. We'll see how that unfolds towards the end of the year. Bitcoin's on a tear. Are you guys into Bitcoin? No, I've been listening to to Colin and them on yeah. Digital Wildcats. Oh, he's a like big proponent of it. But, you know, the Bitcoin mining, you know, with, with the flare gas and things like that, it's kind of interesting it is on the side but uh, but i haven't dove into it very deep anymore. yeah well i don't think most people have and, and actually interestingly so i had a gentleman on this podcast who has a company called easy blockchain and he does this very similar where you know he brings out he basically allows companies to monetize gas through mining bitcoin same principle as 
who was it? What's this company that Colin had on his? It starts with a C. They're out of Denver, I think. Yeah, listened to that episode a while back, but it slips my mind. Yeah, but same idea, but it's fascinating. And he even said on the podcast, I think he can get close to $10 per MCF. And it's like, that's insane. And so I asked him, I'm like, well, why isn't everyone doing it? It's because it's foreign, right? It's this kind of weird, abstract, like funny money. You know, everyone, when you think Bitcoin, all I can think about is Silk Road. I don't know if anyone of you know what that is, whether you've used it or not is another story. But yeah, it's just kind of that sort of that weird, uncertain, dark realm. But I think it has has potential. And I think the future definitely lies in some form of cryptocurrency. I don't know, the petrodollar. Some people think it's about to go by the wayside. All sorts of funny theories going on out there. I don't know much about all of it, but it's fun to talk about it. I actually just got into Bitcoin. My buddy who is a drilling engineer won't say his name, but we had breakfast the other day and he's big into Bitcoin. Like he goes down rabbit holes that I didn't even know existed, but he got me on, it's called GBTC. And it's basically for folks that like don't want to actually buy or like invest in Bitcoin because you need like different platforms. Like you can't go on E-Trade or Scotia, whatever, like some people doing like, oh, I want to buy into, into Bitcoin. But GBDC is is a basically a way. So it's called Grayscale. It's Bitcoin trust that enables investors to gain exposure to the price movement of Bitcoin through a traditional investment vehicle. So it basically tracks Bitcoin. I'm not like definitely a financial advisor, but for me, I always wanted to get into Bitcoin. And so I was like my kind of getting my feet wet into it. And if anyone's interested, just search it. It's GBTC. And so E-Trade, actually, you can trade on it. And I bought some and, you know, hopefully it just keeps going up and up. I think JP or like Bloomberg or someone said it's going to go to like 150,000 or something like that. It's, I think, at like 30 something right now. So who knows? Anyway, let's get to know more about you guys. That's what we're here for. Travis, let's start with you. Where are you from and where'd you grow up? And we'll go from there. Yeah, I grew up in Houston, basically, in the suburbs, southeast side. Okay. And yeah, I mean, pretty normal path. No one has a normal path. So what's a normal path? Seems normal, right? I mean, I went to school, I got an engineering degree, and I decided that hell with the degree and went right to the oil field. (laughs) Yeah. It kind of lucked out because that probably propelled my career more than anything. So I started working for Halliburton, completion tools, pretty much the entire time. I was a tool hand. Broke out super early. Probably one of the youngest tool hands out there running liner hangers and completion tools. Good for you. How old were you when you started doing that? Oh, man. I mean, it's directly out of school, right? Yeah. I mean, I went to school. I built race trucks. That's all I did. Weld and built race trucks. But you uh, did chemical? I was a chemical engineer. I'm surprised you didn't do mechanical. Everybody says that. Right? Naturally. you know, I just, I don't know. It seemed straightforward. Like, oh, I already do mechanical stuff. Why would I want to learn that? I'll do something different. Good for you. No, go against and, the, yeah. um, I did that. I met this really amazing girl. I eventually married her and she was like, you should get a job. So I was like, ah, oh, I'll get a job. <laughs> Wait, that's a So I interviewed idea. with one company and it was Halliburton and I went to work. And from there it was, yeah, it was pretty good. I, I did start out as an engineer. I mean, it was so blow and go at the time that you got to do whatever you wanted to so i was mm-hmm. i just went and ran around with the cement crew for a while i was training tool hands and i was like man these guys are making three times what an engineer makes why would i be an engineer <laughs> yeah and i asked and they were like yeah you can do it so i started doing that and eventually just living out of the truck and never seeing my wife and kid on the way and stuff like that and we were like well we should do something different so move back to houston 
Where were you living at the time? And we were, I bounced around South Texas. So okay. I was mostly, in, we were in South Texas. And, and then we went back to Houston. What was I doing? I was doing sales for another big red company. And yeah, from there, I just, I learned a lot. I had a lot of exposure. That was with Weatherford. And I mean, it was crazy times because now I think like probably if we went back and looked at it, I think the day I moved to Houston was like the day oil started like this downward trend to the bust. <laughs> like I don't. Like, what year was that? So that was, was that 2014? Yeah. And I mean, I think I left, you know, and, and we were you know, $90 oil and it was just going straight to the bottom at that mm. point. And, you know, I didn't have a lot of insight in markets or anything like that at the time. Sure. But that was, you learned a lot and definitely I got to do it just a wide range of sales with that company and, and we had our struggles and everything else. And, and yeah. And from there I, I met a lot of great people. I, I worked with some smaller companies and, and growing some new technology and uh, doing that. And, and eventually I, uh, I partnered with the guys at NextGen, and we got to make some really cool stuff. So it's no a, doubt. It's been a really fun ride. Yeah. No, and, and you say normal. I mean, I think it's fair to say that, like, a lot of folks, like, you know, graduate high school, go to school, get a degree, and then they go out and work for a major service company, get trained up, get to, you know, work in different areas, different disciplines. And then, you know, then they say, okay, well, you know, this is a huge corporation. I'm just a number why not partner with a smaller company where I can make more impact? And so, yeah, like I would say that's, that's a very common trend, you know, a common trajectory for a lot of people. Now I know your life doesn't revolve just around oil and gas because you're LinkedIn, you got a picture of a fish with his mouth wide open. So I would be willing to guess you're like a sportsman, fisherman type of guy. So like, where does all that fit into the normal path that you had? Because obviously, and, and I think looking at your LinkedIn, you, it looks like you are co-founded Lone Star Guide. And, and so talk a little yeah. bit about that, man. I think yeah. that's interesting. So, I mean, that's the passion, right? I mean, I, I just, I do oil field stuff to make money, right? Yeah, yeah. And no, I, I did. I've constantly went from, you know, giant company to smaller company to smaller company. And doing that, I kind of I kind of started my own company now, which is... Lone Star Guide. And I've done some unique things there. I actually, it kind of started me on my design path. I okay. patented some fishing products, like no recreational way. fishing products. I sell them on the site. What? I'm a, a licensed captain. So I love anything outdoors, adventures. I love taking people on adventures. I love exposing people to the outdoors. No way. COVID just shot that to the moon, right? You know, and, and with everything shut down and really nothing to do, people were just needing a way to get outside yeah experience new things find healthy stuff and so how i've kind of set up everything i've got a pretty good advantage is that i'm not i'm not i've had a normal path but i'm not typical by any means so a lot of our guided trips are centered around just really showing people the outdoors and not just a four-hour boat trip a four-hour trip to go to the jetties to try to take you know catch fish you know just a one style so we yeah. really focused on new anglers getting new people not just to the water but actually wade fishing where they're in the water yeah where you're seeing the best sides of galveston the best sides of rockport and aransas pass and Port a and, and stuff away from the highway away from the pollution and just stuff people really don't even people that could grow up in houston and live in houston just don't even know it exists yeah know? and uh, so i enjoy that stuff it's yeah obviously a big passion of mine and I think it's so important to have 
something like that, that can kind of disconnect you from the day-to-day grind of oil and gas, right? I mean, I have my own passions and sort of my, you know, hobbies and interests that I do outside of oil and gas. And I mean, because you can get consumed. I mean, you know, oil and gas is 24-7, 365. And if you let yourself, you can work yourself into the grave. And so having something like that, that's, you know, sort of a vacation that you can kind of disconnect and then provide a service to people. And like you said, get away from, you know, the the city, get away from the pollution and just kind of get, get into the nature, if you will. And it sounds funny, but man, I think it's so refreshing to be able to do that and to be able to provide that is, is even is, is awesome. And so I'm curious. So you said you patented some products and stuff like that. What are they like? Yeah. So, and really kind of what started everything and is a fishing stringer holder. Okay. So what is that? I'm not fishing, a big fisher yeah, person. Just high level. So when you're wade fishing, if you catch a fish that you want to keep, like you want to bring it home and eat it, yep. you need a way to like hold on to that fish while you're in the water. So you normally would put the fish in the water where it stays alive, stays healthy, stays, you know, you in know, its really habitat or whatever. Well, you know, you, you're trying to save the meat, right? You For wanna, sure. You want to eat it. So that's attached to you. So I made the part that attaches to you. And, and, the, mm. and the really it's the specifics around the patent too, is I made a, a holder that you can hook and unhook the design with one hand. Oh, yeah. And that under tension, you can easily release it with one hand as well. And that's important if you want to think of like a shark grabbing onto the fish that's basically tied to you when you're in the water. Right. Not a fun scenario, right? But you want to be able to quickly... Very natural scenario because sharks love eating fish. Yeah. Right? You know what I mean? And so when that happens, you might want to quickly (laughs) undo that. Yeah. And that's kind of what it's centered around. That's and, so uh, cool, man. And so I make all these. I mean, you know, we, we make them in the machine shop and I kind of bring them back and I hand, you know, I hand tie them and file down the edges and put everything together in my garage. What? I sell them on my e-commerce site. And that really what site got is me that? LoneStarGuide.com. Okay. So you can, you can, you know, you can look at the stuff I have for sale there. A lot of it's out of stock constantly because it's just me and I really have no desire to get these produced anywhere else. So I make them as fast as I can. Wow. And you can book trips through there as well. I think you can. If not, you will very shortly. Yeah, man, that is so cool. So you're an entrepreneur at heart then, obviously. And so the unlatching mechanism that you designed, was that, is that something that you were, you basically designed to scratch your own itch, right? Like, is that something that you were like, man, I wish I had this. And then you just built it. And then you're like, wow, shit, I can yeah, sell it. Yeah, it's kind of funny because I think I was just kind of in a frustrated spot at work. And I was kind of, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I used to build race trucks. I built a lot of stuff. I'm into, you know, all sorts of stuff. Obviously not Bitcoin, but I like <laughs> land. Yeah, yeah. You know, I love everything outdoors and conservation. And I think I was just frustrated at work and i called up my cousin and i was like what what does the fishing world need right now yeah and he had this abstract idea of a mount that goes on a kayak that you can attach motors and power poles to and all this stuff and then he mentioned this one little thing about a stringer i was like no no no, no. tell me more about the stringer yeah and he started doing that and i was like oh, i can build a good one of those and i just bought a 3d printer no way. Learned a 3D printer, prototyped it all with a 3D printer, and like I was like, oh man, I need to show this to somebody. So I showed it to another best friend of mine, and and he just when he started playing with it, he just started playing with it constantly. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm on to something now. Dude, that's so cool. And I wrote up a patent, and a couple of years later, I had a full utility patent on the concept. And No way. And yeah, I've been kind of selling them ever since. It goes up and down with my workload, obviously, you know, because I, I make everything. And 
I used to 3D print them. We went through a lot of different material testing and stuff, and and I just did not like them breaking for any reason. Mm. And I have my own. I'm pretty tough on stuff, and mine lasts forever, but yep. they could break, so eventually we shifted them to aluminum, and, and I think it kind of goes to that, like, yeti cooler model that if it's just indestructible and it can never break it's so much less of a headache yeah that was it and it's been fun man i mean i think that probably that definitely kicked off you know kind of going out on my own mm-hmm. and being more confident in doing that Good and being point. more prepared as well i mean it's just from the marketing and all that stuff it's all important so. yeah no that's a neat story man and i mean we're in the heart of you know hunting and fishing and so i'm sure a lot of the listeners will be pretty excited to hear that that's something that, you know, maybe they've had a challenge with or maybe they've had a shark come and try and snag their fish and they couldn't release fast enough. I don't know. That sounds terrible. I went wade fishing one time with a couple guys I work with, Mike Christensen and, and Chris Campbell. They laughed because I was not prepared. They had all this stuff for me, but we were going like wade fishing. I was like, okay, whatever. And I jumped in and I didn't have like these boots of things on. And yeah. they were like, oh, you know, you're going to be able to like, like, yeah, see that. Don't step on that. And there was like fish at the bottom of the thing. And it was like, a t- I would look like such a tourist. It was so funny, wow. but it was actually a really good time. And I actually caught the first fish. So I was, of course, bragging, beginner's luck type of thing. And the only other really fishing experience I got was, and again, I got kind of spoiled, set the bar high, was in Key West, went there with some folks. And man, that was amazing. I would love to go back. I've been there f- three times now, but yeah, if you ever want to kind of get your feet wet in the fishing world, go to Key West. That's definitely a good spot. Galveston's nice too. I've done a little bit there with just some work buddies, but yeah, it's a good time. I'd love to do more of it. It's just, I don't know where I'd find the time, but nonetheless, I might be hitting you up because I know my daughter, she always talks about wanting to go fishing. So maybe we'll do a, a little family gathering and do some Lone Star guided stuff. That'd be pretty cool. And Dane, don't worry, I haven't forgot about you, but for the audience out there, I forgot my other microphone. So we're going to do focus on Travis, then Dane. But speaking about marketing, you wrote a couple of articles or you wrote one specifically on marketing. Is that something that's kind of always interested you? And on LinkedIn, I thought I saw you wrote some stuff. So, so tell me, are you kind of like passionate about that or is, and you have an interest with marketing or? Yeah, I do. You know, I think that I'm probably kind of a big picture guy. I don't know if I'm really great at any one thing, but, but I can kind of put the pieces together and, and find a lot of success. But marketing has been important. And, and that was really probably spurred by some people that I worked with in the past. And when I went on to before next gen, and I was just kind of really overwhelmed in sales. I've done a lot of sales. And yeah, I found a lot of relief when I was really started exposing myself to marketing. And this yeah. was the same time with Lone Star Guide. So I was learning how to differentiate that company among, obviously, every Texan and their brother wants to be a hunting or fishing guide, right? <laughs> yeah, it seems uh, like it. So I was learning a lot from there. And when I was I was using that for oil field sales and I was noticing how different LinkedIn campaigns could be extremely successful. Yeah. Even for a salesperson and taking focus on that. And that's what really got me into looking at how sales worked with marketing because in previous jobs, I'd been part of sales and big companies and every instance of trying to get sales and marketing to work together was just Mm-hmm. excruciatingly painful. And as I would go to a smaller and smaller company, a lot of that painfulness would kind of be eliminated just because the size is smaller, but really with Lone Star Guide and kind of understanding it, you know, and I started with work, I would you know, really reach out to marketing departments and like learn how I could 
how they could help me, how I could help them. And it's always been a big part. It's been really important. Yeah. No, I, and I think we've seen it. I would say back starting in 2014, 15, companies realized that, you know, having a booth at, you know, a conference and OTC and all these traditional forms of marketing that are companies, their return on the investment was not quite what it used to be. And I mean, especially when you're spending five, six, 10 grand for a booth and all you have is a bunch of college graduates come and handing resumes to you. It's like, okay, this is not where my money's best focused on. And so, you know, things like podcasting, things like, you know, social media marketing, building the brand, building the trust, building the story, creating awareness around certain things. I think the oil field has adopted that and, and really has put a lot of effort into it. And I mean, even for you guys, I mean, you guys have such a unique kind of look and, you know, I'm glad you didn't pick red as your guys's color because I would have laughed, obviously going from Halliburton to Weatherford. And now you got a really cool green, which I, I think is really neat, you know, and, and even your website is the black and the green. I mean, it's super, super cool. But anyways, I want to take it to Dane. You know, I haven't forgot about you, like I said, but let's talk a little bit about you. I'd love to know where you're from, you know, where you grew up, how you got in the oil field. So let us hear your take. Yeah, I'm a little bit different. I'm on the other end of it. I'm fourth generation farmer and rancher here in, in Texas. Good for you. Uh, I was actually born here in Houston. Okay. That's Rosewood rare Memorial to have. That, that's gone. Yeah. But I was adopted uh, two days old by farming, ranch, and family in South Texas. Awesome. I grew up in little town of Three Rivers, which is in the middle of the Eagleford. Yeah. Live in the town of Pawnee, which is about 10 miles down the road from there. Okay. I live on some land that's been on our family for about 100 years. And then uh, my mom's family is from Medina County, west of San Antonio. Yeah. A little town of DeHennis. And that country has been on our family for almost 150 years now. So deep roots, even though I was adopted into the family, I've taken over that. That's my passion. Travis and I love the outdoors. He's fishing and hunting and an adventure guy, and I'm a cattleman. You okay. Know, I, I love spending time in the pasture looking at cattle and, and doing that. That's my release. That That's how I keep myself grounded and keep myself sane. You know what's it really interesting about that? So I grew up in Vernon, BC, which is basically lake country, they call it. So everyone's into you know wakeboarding, water skiing, skiing, snowboarding. Like That's the culture there. A lot of snowmobiling, stuff like that. But on my mom's side, they're all you know farmers from Alberta. And so my uncle who has the farm that is the homestead from my mom's side, who's all Eastern European. They, they, you know, immigrated to Canada and set up shop close to Nisku, just west of Nisku. And anyone who's been in the oil field long enough, you know, Nisku is kind of the, you know, little oil field city up there, just south of Edmonton a little bit. But, you know, growing up, my mom and I would go to the farm and yeah, he raised cattle and, you know, had wheat fields and stuff like that. And there was something about being out there, just the air. And then of course being, you know, in the, you know, the Canadian prairies, and then being, you know, just out in the open, just is very peaceful. And so I always, like some of my fondest memories growing up were our families have got like a hundred or some acres and it's, they call it, you know, the gully. And it's just, he's got quads and stuff like that. And I just go in my quad and just rip around and, you know, go up and down trails and, and stuff and, you know, see like, you know, animals that are just in the wild. And for a city boy like myself, like that's really <laughs> fascinating. And some yep. people will be like, yeah, that's just normal. But for someone who doesn't get to do it that often and yeah, I'd like rip around and go visit the cows and like, you know, being like 10, 12 years old, like touching the cows. And it's just, it was fascinating. So I can identify, man. It's actually, it's a very neat experience. And so, you know, for you to say like, that's kind of your peaceful, you know, space, if you will. I just, I think it's really cool. And and I remember, like I said, it's 
something that growing up, I always, you know, I wish I could do more of, but Niski is a bit of a, a bit of a hike for me right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little ways away, but yeah, that's my release. That's how I keep myself grounded to remember that, you know, my family's worked that hard to keep that land in, yeah. in the family and it gives you something to work for. Yeah. So, but no, I went to school in, in Three Rivers, then went to Texas A&M, was okay. going to be an ag science teacher. Oh. Going to be an ag teacher. My parents were both teachers as well. Okay. My dad was a junior high science teacher and shop teacher, and my mom was a homemaking teacher. Ah. And so it was kind of in my blood, but I got to A&M and, and started making money on the side running hot shots. Oh, yeah. And so just got crazy with it one day and decided that that's what I was going to do and started my, started hot shotting in 2001. Okay. Then 9-11 happened and, and went through that downturn and had an opportunity to become a QC welding inspector for Bay LTD down in Corpus Christi. Hmm. And then worked for them for a few years and had a chance to go to Morgan City, Louisiana to their other office, Bay Offshore. And we built some offshore platforms for BP, some stuff for Holstein Project and Thunder Horse and, and a few others, some stuff that went to Angola, mm. ran QC and commissioning on, on their piping systems. Yeah. So got, got into the construction side of it. After that kind of slowed down, I got tired of being in Louisiana and wanted, felt like I needed to come home. So I came home and started the trucking operation back up. So in 05, went independent with my hotshot company. And it still runs today. That's oh, wow. Tex Pro Logistics. Okay, cool. Uh, so you which got a really, side hustle too. Yep. Yeah. Really helps next gen because we put it on our trucks and get it there for a good price and, yep. and whenever we need to. So that really, really helps us. We're very vertically integrated. No kidding. From, uh, from ideas all the way to delivering to the job site. But that's always been there. I've been self-employed pretty much my whole life. I mowed grass and mowed lawns in, in junior high and high school. And yeah. my slogan back then was, when the grass is greener on your side of the fence, call me. So, you know, <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't know if I might have had a problem with authority, but, you know, I always wanted to be the boss. And, yeah, and there's so, nothing wrong with that. So I always ran my own operation. And, and then we got into... About 2014, we had the opportunity to start NextGen, mm-hmm. and uh, we started as a material provider. We were going to sell frack balls. That was our first venture into this. Okay. And moving into that, we learned through all the phone calls that I made to everybody I knew in the oil field from, from my hotshotting days and all of that. I knew a lot of production guys, knew a lot of drilling guys, but I didn't know a whole lot of completion guys. Right. So I uh, started calling around and we started chasing that rabbit down the rabbit hole and and we figured out that we needed to build a frack plug too okay and that's kind of how the next gen idea got started gotcha so it got started out of a unique demand then obviously and was there money on the market at the time oh yeah yeah the market was great when we first started you know 14 was still the (laughs) the high point when we got into designing a frack plug we were looking at starting you know a six or seven thousand dollar frack plug market Mm mm-hmm we had a lot of leeway. You know, there was a lot of room in there to make money. Margins were great. Yeah. And then the downturn hit. And so we learned that the hard way. And so we focused on the, the frack balls because those, those sold quite a bit cheaper and the market was still there for that. Yeah. But we, NextGen was the first one that came out with a 100% dissolvable frack plug. Okay. So for the listeners out there who aren't really familiar, maybe on the completion side, why is that important or where does that add value? Well, you know, the biggest thing right now is everybody's looking for efficiencies. And Mm -hmm. when we 
decided to make the first fully dissolvable frack plug, people were trying to get rid of their drill outs. Mm-hmm. So uh, they wanted to save their drill out time and, and the money that was spent on that. So if you had a hundred percent dissolvable frack plug, you know, you could do a washout run to the end and, and you didn't have to worry about all the drill out time. You know, when cool tubing was $125,000 a day, yeah, they could cut two or three days off their completion time or their cool tubing time yeah. and save all kinds of money. So a five or six, $7,000 frack plug at the time made a lot of sense. No kidding. But you know, then the market changed on a dime and we had to kind of regroup and go back to our original, which was a material provider and a frack ball provider. Ah, okay. So you, then you provided all different types of the frack balls and really just whatever the market needed yep. at the time, you were able to source it and provide it kind of thing? We, we have always prided ourselves that we know dissolvable material the best of, of anybody because mm-hmm. we were small enough to do a lot of in-house testing. So we've always had multiple variations of dissolvable material that would fit conditions all the way across the spectrum. We've done work and everything from cold, fresh water in the Northeast, you know, it's 60 degrees down hole to in the Haynesville where it's, you know, 325, 350 degrees down hole. Right. And then dealing with all kinds of different fluid systems from fresh water to produced water and everything in between. And the biggest thing that we ran into when we started Next Gen was... At the time, you know, frack balls were $2,000 a piece. Oh, wow. And so people would run out there and sell anything. Yeah. And they would tell the customer, well, it's a dissolvable. Well, how does it dissolve? Well, it's a dissolvable. You know, they didn't provide any background information behind that. Mm-hmm. And so we figured out that being a new company and a new name on the block, that we had to be better than everybody else and know the science behind it. Yeah. And so we dove into the details. Okay. And that way, when we walked into a room and they said, well, tell us how it's going to work. And we could tell them, you know, it's because of your temperature, your salinity in your well, or how that's going to work. And if you don't have those, then we'll go to a different variation of our material mm. and it'll still be a viable project for you. Right. That was the basis was the science and getting it right yeah. and proving to people that we could make it a good product for them. Yeah. And so, and one of my questions was going to be, I mean, obviously starting back then and, and you pivoted and you shifted your focus based off the needs, but outside from really, like you said, providing details, really getting down to the science. And I'm sure that's obviously a differentiator, but what was the biggest key to success for surviving, you know, back then and then even till now? I mean, I think you touched on it, but can you dive a little bit deeper and, and not, you know, obviously what you're providing is important, but, you know, as a company or, you know, the, the internal workings of it, I mean, what other, cause I mean, there's a lot of companies that, you know, just couldn't handle it. And a lot of good companies that provided a good product, but just as a business couldn't survive. Can you touch on, you know, what, what's allowed you guys to survive and, and now that you're on this end of it going into 2021, hopefully going to thrive. Can you speak a little on that? Sure. I'll let Travis jump in on this too. I think it was all about Travis. Travis was pointing at himself and said, it's me, it's me. You know, he likes the limelight. Yeah, he does. Uh, That's good. You but need no, that. Tra- Travis is a, <laughs> is a vital part of our operation and yeah. he's brought a lot to the table that makes us a viable company. Okay. You know, we started out as a material provider and a frack ball company. And then we designed a frack plug that was a very large frack plug designed on the old school frack plugs. Mm-hmm. You know, two sets of slips, you know, probably 18, 24 inches long, you know, and that has a lot of, a lot of material in it, a lot of cost in it. Mm. When we realized that wasn't where we needed to be, 
you know, we started looking at making a new design. We started looking at vertically integrating the company. We looked at strategic partnerships. Yeah. And we've accomplished pretty much all of that. We do all of our own in-house testing now. We used to have to contract all of that out. Yeah. We've added that to our repertoire, I guess. We added engineering. That's where Travis comes in. Yeah. You know, he's our lead engineer. He comes up with a lot of the ideas of the new products that we're bringing to market. And then we also are in-house with our machining partner. And they're, you know, a partner with us. They do a great job machining. They've learned how to machine the dissolvable material, which is a trick in itself because mm-hmm. magnesium and heat do not like each other. Right. <laughs> okay. There can be large fires. There's been one here in Houston at a different machining facility in the past. Okay. And it's things like that that we figured out that if we could keep everything in-house, we could keep our costs low. Yeah. Being vertically integrated and having full control of supply chain right from, you know, manufacturer, you know, R&D and distribution. I mean, that's, you know, for the company that I work with, we pride ourselves on that too. And and the unique thing about that, that a lot of other people can ultimately get answers for is if if there's an issue, if it's all done in-house, you can easily figure out what the root cause of something, or if you need to tweak something and be able to be flexible and have solutions turned around in a timely manner. I mean, that's a differentiator because no one wants to wait on results. If someone says, Hey, what's wrong with this? Oh, well, let me contact this, you know, provider and and then they have to contact someone else. And next thing you know, your competitors and they're giving them answers. So that's really neat that although you guys are relatively small, you're still vertically integrated, which offering that type of value is, is extremely important, especially nowadays. Oh, I agree. And I, I think that that's probably one of the major driving forces why I partnered with Dane and NextGen. But mm-hmm. uh, I'd like to go back and, and I think, Dane, I'd like to elaborate a little bit on NextGen's first 100% dissolvable frack plug. And okay, yeah, that no, was special that. because in completions, there's been a big thing between fully composite, fully dissolvable, 100%. And normally, fully composite, fully dissolvable could have ceramic buttons, could have brass shear screws, could have something okay. that's not 100%. And NextGen really had that first 100%, no buttons, no shear screws, frack plug. And and that's where I really wanted to partner up and kind of take that technology to the next level. And so yeah, that was two years ago. And that was probably the big shift from material provider. You think of maybe simpler products like balls or just material. Yeah. At that point, next gen, when we came together, we kind of agreed upon the path forward. And we really shifted to focus on the engineering services that next gen was already providing. We grew that into really an amazing segment of our business. Cool. We're small enough that it's not a very big part of of what we advertise because we're very focused. Mm -hmm. And then we also do the specialty products. So we really focus on the toe initiator, which is the generation two of our dissolvable perforations and the new frack plug that we have. And because we're small, we can go from material to manufacturing to testing so fast we can have nearly unlimited versions to really fit the exact operator the exact need we do have two or three kind of generic styles that cover most of the market okay but most of our work is pretty much tailored to whatever we need so whatever the opportunity is we can very quickly and efficiently tool up for that opportunity so if someone says, hey, we need this time frame, we don't have to go back and really say, 
how about this time frame? Yeah. You know, we can say, okay, yeah. let's do, this is how we do it and we can do it. And so that's been fun. The engineering projects that I've got to work on has been, has been a blast too. We've worked with some really big operators. We've cool. done, you know, in 2020, probably the most notable completion is where we kind of went to the next iteration, but we made an isolation sub for deep water multilaterals. Wow. And, and that was just an amazing process all the way through. No and, kidding. Um, is that pretty unique? I'm not a downhole completion type of guy, so I don't... Yeah, I mean, there was nothing like that. And, no and the way. operator had a very specific need, a very specific problem. And, and we were able to, to really kind of come through without any compromises. And, wow. And Good we built off another project for that to where we were at one point, just a contingency option. Mm-hmm. to then where we were, you know, the only option. And so it shows a good, you know, it shows a good history of, of being able to move forward, of being able to fit dissolvable components into much bigger systems and how they work together. Yeah. And I think telling that story is extremely important. And, and, that's, and that's one thing I love about podcasting is, is you can't put that into words on a website where someone will actually read it. I mean, you could probably put a little case study on LinkedIn or something like that, but, but just hearing that, I mean, I think is, is extremely valuable to so many people out there. Cause I think a lot of people just don't know that that type of stuff exists. I think they look on, you know, what's off the shelf and let's tailor our operations on what's available versus this is what we want to do. Someone design something to spec. And it sounds like you guys are, I mean, the leaders in doing that, which is fascinating. So, I mean, if you were to kind of look forward, you know, what's, what does the future look like for next gen? I mean, are you guys kind of set on how you're doing things now, or do you have a vision beyond of what you're doing, maybe getting into different segments of oil and gas or even different industries? I mean, what does that look like? Well, I think that obvious we're going to kind of stay with our focus, right? We do have some different areas that we are looking into developing. Mm -hmm. So I would expect to see this year, some new product offerings cool they'll still be very focused and to continue with the projects as well and you know it's kind of like i don't know the spaceship theory you know you get you develop a spaceship and you get a nonstick pan to cook eggs with right you know (laughs) yeah i kind of like that you know because we really these projects we really get exposed to a lot more and when you're trying to solve a problem instead of trying to fit to a need you know you kind of get a forward look at where the next segment might be. Yeah, yeah. No, that's absolutely true. Dane, did you want to mention something? Yeah, and I think the biggest thing, especially with dissolvable material, has always been the acceptability of it. People thinking outside of the box. Yeah. You know, one of the biggest things Travis and I talked about before he came on board was designing a frack plug, not with the constraints of a regular frack plug, thinking completely outside of it and saying, we don't have to worry about if it's going to spin when they're trying to drill through it because it's going to be gone. No kidding. And, yeah. you know, so that takes a lot of the constraints out of your engineering side because you don't have to worry about the tangibles on the other end. Hmm. You just design it because you know it's going to disappear. Right. You know, and, and the other thing is there was such a bad taste back in the big boom and, you know, 13, 14 of people selling material that just didn't work. <laughs> yeah. uh, we wanted to make sure that, that our stuff worked and we proved that. One of our greatest presentations, we'll walk into a room with, with engineers, or back when you could walk into a room with engineers, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and we would have a bottle of water, yeah, and we would drop a coupon of our dissolvable material in it, dissolve it in front of them. Wow. 
because a lot of people didn't have any idea. You know, they knew this dissolvable material was supposed to go away, but nobody had ever seen it because you drop a ball, it goes down in the dark, you never see it again. Right. So they didn't have a visual representation of that. So we walk into a room, set a bottle of, of water on the table, drop a coupon in it, and it just starts fizzing like an Alka-Seltzer and goes crazy. No kidding. Well, nobody had ever seen that. Yeah. And so it was a completely different idea. Well, now people are realizing, hey, this stuff actually works. Mm. And at, at the end of our presentations for, for a long time, you know, we were our sales pitch. We would step back and say, okay, now, guys, do you have any ideas on a tool that you think might work to be dissolvable? Yeah. And so now is how we get into these custom projects, you know, the dissolving perfs, this isolation sub. It's things that used to have to be drilled out or had to be mechanically operated now works on its own and goes away. No kidding. So you, you come up with all kinds of new ideas when you start looking outside the box and say, well, you know, we used to have to go operate that with a, you know, with a moving piston or, or a ball drop system or something like that. Now it's just going to be gone and we don't have to worry about it again. Yeah. Man, that's interesting. And I guess, so what, for you guys, what is your biggest limiter right now then for growth outside of, you know, market conditions? I mean, are you guys capped or are you guys limited on certain things or are you able to scale up just however much you want or what does that look like? Well, I mean, that you may be able to credit market conditions, but, but we have a lot of room to scale right now. And so oh, good. I mean, we're pretty happy where we sit. We've always been a very lean company. We kind of operate that. We've got some of those partnerships we talked about are just almost invaluable. Mm. And, and so we've got the capacity, the manpower. And so we're pretty, I mean, we're, we're super sustainable where we are. Yeah. And there's not any immediate limit for our, our current, uh, you know, our current path, right? You know, the one thing that we are not is we are not a service company. We don't provide service. Okay. So we don't provide service in the field. Now we, we can offer that. We've got, you know, other partnerships out there with, with some contractors help and stuff like that. And so sometimes that's confusing. You know, we might look like we would be a normal service company, mm-hmm. but that doesn't really hold us back and it lets us stay focused on where we are and it keeps us from being, you know, it keeps the excess. So yeah. when it got really tough, you know, we were already lean and we were, we were right where we needed to be. Right. So by you saying that and by not really claiming to be a full service company, where are you guys selling to the end user? It sounds like you are. We do. So we typically sell direct to the end user. Okay. And we do that so we can really maintain control of getting the new products to the market. So you hear a lot of, you know, inventions and stuff have a problem with crossing the chasm, you know. And so the products that we think are you know, cutting edge and leading, we want to make sure that we go from early adopters to an early majority. Yeah. And we want to make sure that we have control of that. And so at one point where we were much more wholesale focused, material focused, ball focused, you could say that that's not our focus right now, but it's definitely not something that we are. I mean, we do realize that in order to keep growing on that front, there may be other partnerships down the road. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, so but for the first part of really getting out the new dissolvable perforation technology, the new frack plug technology that we have, you know, we really wanted that control to the end user so it can be wrapped up and put in a nice, neat package. Yeah. Make it real simple. Makes sense. No, I I love it. And I like how you're staying true to what you believe in is going to be successful. I want to go back a little bit on to the marketing side. Like I mentioned earlier, you know, I love the theme. 
and the approach you have, you know, everything from the colors. But I'm curious to hear about the ghost. There's this little ghost that kind of like floats around and on your website and stuff. Is that I'm assuming that's the whole like dissolvable go away type of thing, or can you? Because I think it's unique, and, I, and I'm curious and about that. Probably the number one question, right? More so than our technology, or our material, or our services, maybe the ghost. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we've got. I mean, our marketing team is just phenomenal. We could not be happier with and and the way that the whole company's involved in every aspect of it is yeah. just it's great and so yeah that is the idea behind the ghost you know something that's there and then disappears and it's something that's recognizable yeah and i uh, love it man and 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 it's nice because you know it creates a lot of content you know it does and recognizable content so on top of having that yeah, it's it's neat. Everybody asks about it. Yeah. At first, I mean, even you know me, and I like to think I'm a little forward thinking on marketing. You know, I was yeah. kind of like, oh, seems a little silly, but whatever. Yeah. And it's great. You know, it's been it's yeah. been really good. It has, man. I love it. And then you know, so and now that I know more about the company, I can kind of answer my own question. But I was curious about the hashtag dissolve into profit. Who came up with that? I think that's cool. That was one of my original thoughts. That there was you about- go three, four years ago. Yeah. And at first, one of the guys put an S on the end, dissolving into profits. And I was like, no. I said, it's profit. Profit is that one thing that everybody strives for. It's own being. Yeah. You leave it as a singular item. Okay. So that's where dissolving into profit came from. (laughs) Nice. I love it. I think it puts the icing on the cake, fellas. I love it. So you can answer this, but I wanted to close out by asking you know, what do you like most about your job, the day-to-day, the hustle, the grind? Because it's not easy. Anyone who started their own company can tell you more horror stories than success stories, but the success stories are what makes you coming back. It's kind of like golf. He hit a thousand bad shots. You don't want to go back and then you hit the one shot and it's like, okay, I'm going to go back for the next round. Maybe like fishing too. But what do you like most about your job? And we can start with you, Dane. That's the biggest deal is sometimes with these two downturns back to back, you know, you kind of feel like Rocky Balboa. (laughs) Right. uh, Yeah, no kidding. You just got to be standing when it all comes back. And that's what I've preached to the guys since we started, we went through the first downturn. I said, we have to be standing when it comes back. Mm-hmm. And we were standing when it came back. That's it. Uh, and then we've, you know, we've turned, we've, we've morphed into the company that we are now. We, we brought Travis on board. You know, we added the marketing side and, and the ghost and everything else. <laughs> right. Yeah. And we're, we're still here and things are starting to come back. Yeah. And that's the biggest thing is the, the victories. Yeah. You know, you get beat up, you get, you know, a small company, you got, you have to worry about the little things, you know, where, where's the paychecks coming from? You know, how are we making it through the end of the year? You have to project those things. And, you know, as a CEO, I'm used to, I've been my own boss for so long that I'm used to that, mm. but you still, your ribs get a little tender when you keep getting beat up. But, <laughs> but when yeah. you get those victories, it's even more sweet. So when we get those big sales or a, a big project coming in, that's what gets you to the to the next month, next year, you know, looking down the road. So Absolutely. That's what I enjoy. I love it, man. Travis, what about you? What do you love most about your job, man? Yeah, man. I mean, I, I think that there's a lot that I'm passionate about. I think that when I, I started, I kind of, I really thought that, hey, they've got some good technology on the frack plug. This is going to be simple. I'm going to go make a product and then I'm going to go right to sales because I love sales, right? But the engineering side and being able to watch these projects mature and working with these larger operators and 
and the ups and downs because i mean you know you might start a project and you got a fresh budget and everybody's excited and everything looks good and like all of a sudden wham like door <laughs> shuts right in your face and you're like oh my god the world's on fire everything's going down and then and then, <laughs> and then you overcome that and you overcome that with the team yeah. the team working together and then when you really cross the finish line on those projects and you look back and you're like man We've got so much value that's came from these projects. We learned so much more. We can put that into the entire company. I mean, it's a lot of fun, you know, and, and it keeps it new and it keeps it fresh each year. So, yeah, no, that's great. Well, look, I want to take a few moments before we close out to tell everyone about some upcoming OGGN events. Happy New Year, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the events on deck for January 2021. This month, we only have three events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. First up, we have our two in-person events, the OCI East Houston Chapter Luncheon at the Monument Inn on the 5th, and the Houston Chapter Energy API Meeting at the Petroleum Club on the 14th. The only online event we have this month is the Prefab Connect from the 26th to the 29th. Other than these events, OGGN may be hosting some more live streams this month, so make sure to check out our Facebook, LinkedIn, or our website for more information about any of the live streams we have coming up. If you have any questions about the events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for January. I hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in. Awesome. Thanks. And anyone out there in the Houston area interested in playing oil field hockey, come join the Hack and Whack crew for some old timer hockey. We do it every two weeks at Memorial City Mall Ice Rink. Hit me up on LinkedIn for more details. Gentlemen, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you guys today. Thanks to a good friend of ours who helped set this up. I know he likes to stay in kind of the the shadow, so I'm not going to mention his name. But anyway, great guy and obviously great to work with you guys. What's the best way for people to reach out? I mean, I can put your LinkedIn links in the show notes. I'll put the Next Gen Oil Tools website in there. Is there anything else that I can put a link into or any good way for people to reach out to you guys? Yeah, I think at least for me, you know, that's the easiest way to get a hold of me is through LinkedIn or through the website direct. We have our phone number on there. We all have our our own connection on there so they Perfect. can reach out and we can get back to them. Awesome. Well, 2021 looks hopeful and yeah, I hope to see you guys continue to thrive and Anything we can do to help you guys, let me know. And with that being said, always remember when the density's up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Thanks, everybody. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of Oil & Gas Onshore, a production of Oil & Gas Global Network. For more information, visit OGGN.com.